Morning, Christ Church. Good to see everybody after Thanksgiving at the beginning of Advent here. And um, I, I want to go a little bit off script here and just say especially how good it is to see the Gabbers's. Um, I have, um, I'll tell you just a bit, a bit about why. I have, many of you I haven't seen because for, uh, for reasons of sabbatical, I'm still seeing some people for the first time. I'm not sure that you guys have been here for a few months, and uh, that's because Nate, one of the teenagers here in our church, uh, had cancer and had surgery down in Houston and has been out for a few months. And Nate, a ton of people have been praying for you, and we're just so glad to see you here. Um. I mentioned Advent. It's the first Sunday of Advent, and uh, we're also doing a sermon series that we're starting, and it's just going to run these four weeks. And um, this is a season in the church when we, we use these words like we watch and we wait. We watch and we wait for the second Advent. And we remember the first Advent of Jesus, His coming. And we also remember that He's coming again, but we're in between those Advents. And this is a season that taps into what we often feel which is this longing, this yearning for things to be restored. And you don't have to look very far. It, it, even to your own life, you see areas where you're like saying, come Lord Jesus to this relationship. Come to this part of my life. Come and bring restoration in this world. Uh, so there's so many ways in which this season uh, gives us this space to just give voice to the fact that things are not the way they're supposed to be. All the way around us or inside of us but to express our yearning for it to be so. We're also starting a series today called Becoming Tenders of the Garden. That's the title. God's Word tells us that all creation waits, watches and waits for shalom. And Scripture tells us that the whole creation's been groaning, in fact, in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time, awaiting this fullness, this restoration. Someone might hear the this series title, and think we're going to be talking for four weeks about the responsibility of Christians that we have as Christians to care for creation. We are going to talk about that, the ethics of creation care, but we're also going to go bigger picture than that. We're going to think about this. Think about the imagery of tending a garden. We're becoming tenders of garden. Someone who tends a garden, um, there's not only the sowing and the reaping, and the watering, and the conditioning of the soil, and all that that's required. But if anybody here has a garden, or is just a lover of them, there's also this other element that is walking out into the garden, and finding yourself perhaps pulling out your camera in some wonder, in some awe, or a sketchbook, or finding yourself maybe just having a seat for a bit, and and entering into conversation with God. Or maybe you've been, if you haven't done this, do this, uh, to Lady Bird Johnson Wildflower Center, a beautifully tended garden, and walk through there, and you'll just get a sense of the wonder of God, the beauty that he's created, and the ways that as we engage in this world, it's a very sacramental way of, of being Christian through our senses, through sight, sound, smells, sacramentally, the way that in this created world, God speaks to us of his, his wonder and his mercies and his beauty, and we delight in him, in his creation. The imagination of the biblical authors were baptized in creation. 
They couldn't speak of life without God, without using words that tapped into this imagery, like our psalm today, just from one psalm, it said this, my whole being longs for you. What's that like? My whole being longs for you. And then he moves into creation language. In a dry and parched land where there is no water. Drawing on the language that serves the deep groanings of the heart. Language from creation. And then later in the psalm, I think of you through the watches of the night. And there we get into daytime and nighttime and the revolutions of the the sun on its axis that creates day and night. And then later in the psalm, I sing in the shadow of your wings. And there again, we get the light, darkness, shadows, what it's like to live in the shadows, but to live in the shadows also under the wing of this bird, this hen that holds close even when it's dark. Creation fuels the language and the imagery, and, and the imagination, and ours too, of life with God. One of the fun ways that we're going to share our experience together, we're going to do this over the next few, actually even beyond Advent. If you came in, you might have seen a whiteboard out there, a couple of whiteboards in the courtyard. If you missed it, as you leave, check it out. Here's what we want you to do. I want you to write down and share with us, this is kind of a playful way to enter into each other's worlds, share with us any creature you've seen recently. So you come to church, and um, it could be a common house sparrow. Write it down. Maybe you know the Latin word for the common house sparrow. Write it down. Maybe it was some um, unusual-looking beetle. You know how many crazy-looking beetles there are in the world? Uh, and that you've just never seen one of those before. Go write that down. Share it with us, whatever it is. And we're just going to get a sense of, of ways that we're all, as a community, uh, encountering the creativity of God. You might actually even be on the lookout during your week thinking about, what am I going to write next week? And you might see something and, uh, and look it up or have an extra kind of noticing practice as you go on walks or, or even in your yard. But I invite you in these weeks of Advent and beyond to consider with us our biblical call to be tenders of the garden. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for Advent and Christmas, these seasons that we are entering into. We ask you to come and, and pierce the darkness with your light, to pierce our hearts. We ask you, Lord, to draw us into your presence through your word. Lord, we ask that we might know better who you are as our eyes are opened, ears are opened to all that is around us and all that you've made. And as our hearts are open as you've spoken through the scriptures. In your name we pray. Amen. The interesting thing about Advent is how it falls during the darkest time of the year. Advent and Christmas, uh, is, there's this darkness in which we are in a season literally waiting for the light. You know, the darkest day of the year is December 21st. The longest night of the year is December 21st. The sun, of course, being the source of all life on earth. Everything on earth depends on energy from the sun. Every living thing. But what determines winter and summer? What determines the season, spring and fall? And that is the revolution of the earth around the sun. The earth orbits around the sun on a tilted axis. So here is summer. And the tilt of the axis is 
ultimately what creates the season. Because, because of that tilt, it means that certain parts of the globe are more exposed, more directly to the sunlight on certain parts of the orbit than other parts of the orbit. And that's where we get seasons. So summer here, when the angles of the sun is most direct on the northern hemisphere, that's summer. That's what you see. And more of the northern hemisphere is exposed to the sun as it spins on its axis for more hours of the day. So you have longer exposure to the sun and more direct sunlight that has this warming effect for a season. And that's what we call summer. But then you go to the opposite side of the sun as it orbits and gets to the other side and you're in winter. And though they're in winter when the angle of the sun is less direct on the northern hemisphere, the temperature's cool, the days are shorter, nights longer. And then in between those two opposite positions, you get this kind of in-between zone where this, the angle of the, the sun's rays is kind of semi-direct and it's about equal day and night. And we call those spring and summer, the two kind of moderated zones in between those extremes. That's how we get our seasons. So if you weren't paying attention to 8th grade life science or physical science classes, um, there you go. Most of human history, daily life, depended on this, was shaped by this, deeply shaped by the position of the sun, the length of days, the seasons of the year, not as much now because we have figured out how to be climate controlled and not as affected by the seasons and live not as closely to the earth and what's planted and what grows and we can eat things that are grown in another hemisphere even. I can't remember, I remember the first time I ate blueberries and I was like, chili? This came from the South America. So we can, we, we're not, we don't live as close to that rhythms, but for most of human history, they did. Ecclesiastes and all the biblical authors lived in that age of very close to the seasons, very close to the earth, and drew so much of how they understood the language they spoke in from that. Our reading today, in fact, from Ecclesiastes chapter 3 says this, there's a time for everything, a season for every activity under the heavens, a time to be born, and a time to die, a time to plant and a time to uproot, a time to kill and a time to heal, a time to tear down and a time to build, a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance, and, and it goes on. There's a season for everything, a time for it all. Now, at the same time, there are seasons in our spiritual lives. We go through this kind of orbiting effect. There are times when it feels like we are closer to the sun and the rays of the sun are more direct on us, where the heat of the gospel warms us. And there are times where we're in a different season. And we go through this spiritual kind of season process as well. Many wise people have observed this, seasons of the soul, if you will. Some call them stages of the spiritual life. These seasons of the soul often follow each other sequentially, but not always. They often describe the arc of even a lifetime, but not always. They're, they're, they're not exactly linear. Sometimes we revisit a season more than once. But here's the thing. You're always in a season. And this is really critical to understand. You're always in a season. And the reason this is important to understand 
is because wherever you are spiritually, whatever you're experiencing with God, whatever you're going through, you might look to your former self and compare your current self to that and think, oh, I'm supposed to be there, but I'm here. Well, maybe you're in a season that is actually where God wants you. Or you look around you and you see other people who are in a different season of spiritual life and you think, that's where I need to be, that's where, where they are, that's where I want to be, that's where I need to be. And maybe the answer is, no, actually you don't. You're right where the Lord wants you to be. You're in a season. And we're all in seasons, and we're all in different seasons, and some of us are in the same seasons, and we each go through different seasons even in the course of our lifetime. But you're always in a season. One of the helpful, one really helpful way to help us make sense of our relationship with God is to consider what season are you in? What's happening right now for you? How would you describe this season? It helps us to get oriented and match our expectations closer to the movements and the rhythm of God in our life, of God's mercies in our life, and align ourselves with His rhythms. One of the places that you can turn to to process your spiritual life. Whatever season you are in, what relationship with God looks like is, is spiritual direction. Um, this is um, spiritual direction is something that a lot of you are familiar with. In fact, we've got about a dozen people in our church who have all been trained in the same spiritual direction program and some in some others. Um, but the one that most of those here, and I see a couple, go ahead and raise your hand. Terry, I see right here. Amy. Sarah's in process over there. So we've got a, a, a fair number of people who've been trained as spiritual directors. I want to first just highlight a couple places where you could find a spiritual director. Those are two. One is lumencenter.org, and those are mostly local, mostly actually Christchurch, but not only Christchurch attendees who are part of Lumen Center. And you could find a spiritual director there. And then that one below is our diocese, Churches for the Sake of Others. And that website, there's a listing of spiritual directors, and you could find a spiritual director there. But one of the things that spiritual directors do, I mean, this, this sermon today gets right at the heart of what spiritual directors do, is they, they help you discern what season are you in? What's going on with you and the Lord right now? What are the dynamics? What are you experiencing? What are you hearing from God, or are you not hearing from God? What's prayer like, or is prayer difficult? And so they help you have conversation with God, have conversation with God that's appropriate to the season, that's fitting to the season that you're in right now, and they discern with you where God's at work and how he is calling you, leading you, inviting you into relationship in that particular season. The founder and the director of that program that trained our spiritual director's name is Sue Curry, and by the way, my wife also went through the program and um, is now on the faculty there. She developed her training around seasons of the soul. And she was one of my sources this morning in helping prepare. I've changed some things a little bit and done some, some, pulled from several different sources. So I won't hold her responsible for everything that you're seeing. But, um, but she's just formatted because the whole thing around seasons. Because if we want to understand the Christian life and understand where we are and try to make some sense of it, um, it is the best way to get oriented. So we're going to dive into the seasons um, a, a little bit now. Let's go to this grid. Now, the rest of the sermon, what I'm going to do is I'm going to fill this out. I'm going to fill out each block. We're going to go spring, summer, fall, winter, and then we're going to look at how those work, what that looks like in creation and in our lives 
one at a time. So springtime in creation, that's the time of sowing seeds. So when farmers get out and they're, they're plowing, they're sowing, there's new life sprouting up, there's tender growth. You know, the, the, the plants haven't yet gotten these deep roots or these hard leaves. Everything's tender and fresh and new. There's a sowing going on. Now, in creation, that's what's happening. We might describe the springtime of our lives as that spiritual time of life where maybe, using another creation metaphor, there is birth, new birth. Um, it's that time of life not only that's close to that new birth, but which has that childlike trust and zeal. There's a kind of awestruck wonder at the world. You know, everything is amazing when you're a kid. And you, just, you, you, turn, you turn your head and you just realize um, that this needs your attention right now. Forget about that. And then you turn your head and you find there's another amazing thing. Just awestruck. So this season is really important part of uh, the spiritual life. It's often a time in which uh, we are very hungry. Uh, the phrase that comes to mind when I think about this season is, can't get enough. I was uh, in college in uh, one summer. I w- went to Switzerland, and I was, worked on an archaeology dig, and I was there with a few buddies that I'd gone to high school with. And we were working with about 40 people from all over Europe and Africa, on this archaeology dig, and it was fascinating. I loved it. I loved the cultures. I loved the people and everything we were doing, um, but I was also in this season, and I w- we worked 10-hour days outdoors, and I would get off work, and I'd go to my bunk, and I would just get on my bunk with my Bible and just read swaths of the Old Testament at a time, and I couldn't get enough, and I would use my lunchtime. We had an hour, and I would run back up to my bunk during lunchtime and just dive into scripture and read chunks at a time I could not get enough of God and his word. And I would tell everybody about him. Anybody who would listen to me that I worked with, I would tell them all about God and everything I was learning and who Jesus was and why they needed to know him. And uh, it was just one of those seasons of hunger, voracious appetite, zeal. All right, the next season, summer. In the summer of our spiritual lives, um, we look to creation, we see, what we see are these deepening of the roots that happen in, in, in summer. You know, the, the, in spring it's planted, the roots go down, they're tender shoots. But in summer, the roots need to get deeper. And in fact, this is a season where some stressors come into the picture and challenge the creation, challenge the plants. And so what happens is the plants send their roots deeper looking for moisture, apart from the topsoil. The topsoil was good for one season, but this season, they're going to have to go deeper to find some moisture. So there's this deepening, a little bit of milder testing that happens in the summer of our spiritual lives. There's a flourishing. You think about summer, you get to that point in summer where everything is just like in full bloom. The green, the color, it is, it's mature and There's a sense of flourishing about it. And even the beginning of harvest can happen as part of summer. Now, in our lives, what we see is a similar kind of pattern, this growth and generativity. In our spiritual lives, there are things that come into the picture and that test that faith, that test that tender shoot. It might be a a longer stretch than usual without water where the deeps go down. 
Um, our life circumstances begin to test us. There's generativity where new branches start moving out. And those branches, then new leaves or blossoms, seeds. There's this kind of reproductive uh, generativity that's happening in our lives, multiplying ourselves. These are sometimes uh, a year, years, or even decades that this season can last. Uh, It often serves the purpose of refining and strengthening us. It's also a season in which spiritual disciplines become a little bit more, not not so much emotion-driven, like I feel like I've got to have scripture in my life, so I go and I consume, um, but more like a habituated spiritual discipline, routine, rhythm kind of thing. It's wonderful when those kinds of things when are in our lives because we can't not do it. We're so zealous that we just can't get enough, but that's not how it is throughout our whole lives or all the time. This is a season of making these things a little bit more of the rhythms of our life, the routines and structures of our life. These are also very active years, high capacity, high productivity in our spiritual lives, in our efforts, active years of ministry and service. And I'm not just talking about, I'm talking about you, ministry, the whole people of God's ministry and your vocation. These are just active, productive years. The phrase that I think of for this one uh, came to me once when I was meeting with a man that I had, I had known from afar I'd read some of what he had done, and, and I was at a place where he was speaking, and I was able to have a, a couple hours just to, to share what was going on in my life, and he was a very, very wise man, and um, I was just sharing what was going on in my life and some of the things I was struggling with, but he used this phrase. He says, you are in a season of maturing fecundity. <laughs> it was not a word I'd heard much before. Fecundity. Fecundity is this really interesting organic word. It just, it just means this kind of flourishing. Things are, things are growing from every limb. It's just this growth happening. And that often characterizes those years. Next one, fall. In creation, the season of fall in creation is a season where there's a final harvest. It might have started in the summer, wrapping that up, but now the beginning of death. And what I mean by that, the beginning of death, is that in the fall, think about trees, for example. It's gorgeous when the leaves start to change colors. But you know what's happening? They're dying. And they're about to drop from the tree, and we're about to see a barren tree. But so it's the beginning. Fall is the beginning of loss. It's a season. It's a spiritual. The fall of our spiritual lives is often one in which there's a lot of loss, a lot of grief, Things to be mourned, deaths, and with that comes the call to relinquishment, to letting go. It's a hard season and begins a transit. It's not the hardest season, but it is a difficult season, and it's a transitional season. There can still be that harvest. There can still be the beauty of the leaves, even as those losses are coming. But there's also this kind of harbinger of something else that is coming, a a kind of quiet that is on its way. The phrase I think of for this one, the fall of our spiritual lives, is not how it was supposed to go. When there was a plan, there was a hope, there was an expectation perhaps even, 
or you were sold, or we, I was sold something that I was led to believe was what it was going to be. It turns out it's not that. So what happens in that season of life? Let me just do a little test right here. If you are over 50 and you can agree with this statement, I want you to raise your hand. Here's the statement. Here's the statement. No, I'm not about to make the statement. If you're over 50, here's the statement. <laughs> can you agree with this statement? Here's the statement. Life did not turn out like I thought it would. Raise your hand if you're over 50. And Okay, now, if you're over 50 and it did turn out like you thought it would, I'm not shaming you, I wish I were you, but raise your hand. <laughs> it's rare. It's rare that, that the things that we expect are going to play out just like we hope that they will. What's more common is getting side-blinded, you know, get, getting things coming our ways that we had no idea this we thought if we walk this path that these are the results. This is often the case even in the church or in our spiritual lives and in the Christian life. Well, we get the idea and it actually comes from things that, that we feel like we understood or were taught that if we follow these certain spiritual paths, if we follow these spiritual practices, spiritual beliefs, if we raise kids in a certain way, if we conduct our relationships and friendships and community in a certain way, then here is the outcome that is going to happen. And it just doesn't work that way. And fall, the fall or autumn of spiritual life is often when that begins to hit. Next one, winter. In creation, this is a season that is characterized by being still and quiet. I mean, we even have a famous Christmas carol about the silent night. You know, there's, there's just like the quiet uh, and stillness comes in part. Because animals are in hibernation or torpor and they're not as active. There's a, there's a quietness and stillness that comes during winter. Another word might be rest that we associate with that hibernating kind of period. Another word is dark or darkness. Now, in our lives, what does that look like? It looks like sometimes the silence of God. Where's God? I can't hear him at all. It's been ages since I've experienced God or had a sense of felt experience of his presence. Where's God? Darkness. I can't see him. I can't see his ways. I can't see even where the path I'm walking is leading so these are often characterized that darkness. This season is one which requires this extraordinary kind of faith. In fact, it's kind of a, you might even call it a blind faith, because there are moments where in this season, one must trust without being able to, to touch or see or hear any evidence of God's presence. And so there's an almost blind faith, pitch darkness. Think of the blindness that comes with total darkness. A blind faith that says, I trust. I trust anyway. Blessed be the name of the Lord. He gives, he takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. That is an absolute kind of faith. It's not a faith that's based on sight. It's not a faith that's based on how I feel. It's an absolute trust. And that's what this season calls for. It's a very difficult season. And some actually will hit this season and they will not make it through. And there's two things that could happen when they hit the season and they don't make it through. One is they could give up and say, God didn't show up for me. 
Another thing is it's too hard to go through it. And so they begin a kind of process of denial and shutting it down and a reversion to a previous season to cling to an old way, hoping that maybe it'll work. And so there's a kind of uh, maturity that requires going through these seasons. When they come, there's no need to seek these seasons. (laughs) But when they come, there's a kind of maturity that comes only through that faith that goes through them. In fact, um, let me read from you this quote from The Critical Journey, Stages in the Life of Faith. The authors say this. They call this, this season, they're using the word wall. There's all kinds of metaphors that work for this. They're using the word wall for what we're talking about in this winter. The process of meeting the wall requires going through the wall. Not underneath it, over it, around it. Or blasting it. We must go through it brick by brick, feeling and healing each element of our wills as we surrender to God's will. Yet going through the wall does not come as a result of our efforts. We can take no credit, nor can we be healed quickly or efficiently. We must simply let it happen. We must learn patience with the process of the wall. It will not be like anything we've ever experienced before. We will be perplexed by the whole process. We will feel reined in and unable to move at all for periods of time. But we will experience peace and calm that we have never known before. The independent self will become an illusion to us. I've spent time in all of these seasons. I gave the example of that voracious hunger uh, the springtime of faith, I couldn't get enough. You know, I've, I've spent time in, in each of these four seasons. And as I look around the room, I know many of you who have done the same, and I, some of you could probably identify what season you're in right now. And the season you're in is where God has you. And so be faithful in that season. This is not something to graduate from one season to the next. This is not a stair to God. And as you go through them sequentially, you get closer. God has each of us in a season for a purpose. And in that season, he wants to accomplish. And it's a good gift to be in whatever season it is. You find yourself in another season. Thank God for the blessings of that previous season. And then the question is, God, what do you have for me in this one? As one presses through the winter, however, One special note here, that can last a long time, but there's something that the great spiritual writers talk about that comes on the other side. If you press through one of these seasons, and we're talking centuries of great spiritual writers, mystics, and even today, who they, you read through different ones in different sources, it doesn't matter if they're Catholic or Protestant, Orthodox, I find that they're all saying the same thing, that on the other side of that winter, is something that that you might call a second naivete. And it's like this return to the childlikeness. This return, having been through all the other seasons of of all the critical thinking, of all the the rationalizing of everything, the understanding of God, and all that is so good and part of our growth, then there comes this second naivete where you return to those same sources, to the same scriptures, to the same experiences, to the same moments of the Holy Spirit's in breaking, and you're like a child again. 
I uh, was with my mom over the weekend, and uh, I didn't expect to say this, but <clears throat> she's had Alzheimer's for almost 10 years. Uh, she barely remembers me, and my kids and I went, <clears throat> and we saw her, and um, it's been this way for a year, uh, for years, and, and what I'm feeling right now is not so much the sadness that she doesn't remember me and, and my siblings or my kids. It's been that way for a long time. But the beauty and the sweetness, there's just something about her presence that she is like an eight-year-old little girl. And it is so dear, her, the ways that she talks and the ways that she speaks and what she exclaims at and the expressions on her face, it's like she's a little child all over again. And there's something incredibly as, as, as much as there is pain in the process, there's something incredibly sweet like that. And I think there's something like that that comes in the spiritual life when we press through the winters of spiritual life, through the dark nights of the soul. On the other side, there's a kind of purity of love that God grants and a purity of trust that he gives as we press through those. So these seasons are not, again, sequential necessarily. They can be. They don't necessarily describe decades of one's life in that kind of sequence. We can go back and forth at times through some of these seasons, but they're a helpful way to understand. And there is some sense in which the spring times of our lives, after the first springtime of new birth and new belief, the return to that springtime almost requires some autumn and winter for spring to come, much like in creation. What happens in creation during the winter as the leaves, for example, fall, decompose, and become compost that condition the soil for new life to come up in the spring. So in our own lives, um, our autumns of spiritual life and our winters of spiritual life uh, are necessary for the springs ahead that God has for us. I'm gonna close with this passage from Romans 5 in the message And it speaks to these seasons of life. And you'll hear the language work its way through. There's more to come. We continue to shout our praise even when we're hemmed in with troubles. Because we know how troubles can develop passionate patience in us. And how that patience in turn forges the tempered steel of virtue keeping us alert for whatever God will do next. In alert expectancy such as this, we're never left feeling shortchanged. Quite the contrary. We can't round up enough containers to hold everything God generously pours into our lives through the Holy Spirit. So Lord, we come to you uh, as people who, every one of us is in a season and you know where that is, even if we in this moment can't name it, we ask, Lord, that you, in the, in the places that you have us, that you would allow us to hear your voice, that you would come to us in the night, that your presence would pierce the darkness, and that you would fill us with hope, with that second naivete or that first naivete, but hope and trust nevertheless. In your name we pray. Amen.